nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hello, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Constitutional Attorney Katherine Henry, and this is Liberty Lori. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of Restore Freedom Weekly. Today's topic is... Uh, I don't know, a little bit reactionary in nature, I suppose. Um, but it's some stuff that uh, has come up for me um, throughout the years, but even more recently in the last week. And just some points that I think sometimes maybe we take for granted, or uh, maybe that some of us simply just don't know at all yet. And uh, my number one job has been to educate and inform the public and make sure you guys have the tools that you need in order to go about your daily lives and not let the government trample all, all over your God-given liberties. I uh, just realized I don't have the chat open, so if you're saying hi, I can't see it. Give me a second here. Um, uh, John, uh, hello to John on YouTube. Um, Stop the city from making you from pulling your hair out because you'll have nothing to eat. Not sure exactly where you're going with that, but thanks for joining us today. Um, and uh, hello to the Liberty Cause joining us uh, on YouTube as well. Just a reminder to those of you um, either, uh, and hello uh, to every one of you on uh, YouTube and other platforms that we're live streaming these days just on, I think it's the four platforms, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And uh, the video automatically will go afterwards over to Rumble. And <clears throat> we have uh, links for the video and whatnot on the other social media platforms. And uh, it'll also be, um, broadcast uh, at least the audio version on Podbean, uh, Apple, I, you know, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Deezer, you name it, uh, Stitcher, all of those podcasting platforms as well later today. Um, Big Bad John, hello. Thanks for joining us on YouTube. I I don't remember what questions you, you asked in particular, so if, if they were good or not, I, I don't know. If if I could say, there really is no dumb question. It's, I guess the only dumb question would be the one not asked. So I don't, I don't remember either, but <laughs> every question is important. We try to answer them all as best we can. But if you're not asking them, how are you learning? So. All right, so uh, if you are someone who normally follows along and watches these episodes, uh, either live streamed or afterwards, you are uh, probably used to the PowerPoint presentation that we then share with you uh, in full on Thursday with the Constitution Segment Recap. Today though, today is not as much about pointing out specific constitutional 
um, you know, quoting certain parts of the Constitution or, uh, you know, uncovering, you know, discussing something that happened in a recent appellate court case or Supreme Court case or something like that, or going with a fine tooth comb over some proposed bills or things like that. <clears throat> this is kind of more uh, on, a, on a larger scale as well as uh, some tactical things for you to think about. And, and this is not just for those of you living in Florida or Michigan. Uh, as always, I mean, even the days when we're covering Florida or Michigan statutes or court rules or cases specifically, those are still things that, you know, you need to take that information and, you know, find your analogous portions in your own state uh, laws, court rules, um, cases or what have you. So, but today is not focused um, on, on quoting or, or referencing a bunch of Florida or Michigan laws or things like that. Today's topic, um, I forget what I even titled the stinking thing because I don't have that in front of me, but uh, Lori, what, what did I, what did I actually ended up settling on as the title here? Oh, and now my mouse is not working. That's awesome. Oh, I got it. The nonsense of our laws and key tips on how to win court cases. Okay, so uh, reminder, if you have not gone over to our Telegram or YouTube channels and looked for the true or false question of the day, uh, please go ahead and check out. Again, we narrowed down our true or false questions just to those two platforms because those are the ones that were getting really the most participation and so worth the time to continue. Uh, but again, that's our Telegram Restore Freedom channel. I think it's t.me slash Restore Freedom, pretty easy. Uh, or our YouTube, which is youtube.com slash Restore Freedom, also pretty easy. So check us out there and answer that true or false question of the day. Uh, today's question is, in a Republican form of government like ours, laws may be complex, in overabundance, and seemingly contradictory, as our elected legislators' jobs are to enact the laws they deem necessary. Uh, I'd love to hear for um, from any of you. Um, let's see. All right. Uh, I'd love to see. I don't have anybody commenting yet, at least on Facebook, as far as I tell. So, sometimes um, it doesn't always show up, but, you know, it's technology. So if you are out there on one of the other Twitter, YouTube Excuse me. To, oh, there is somebody. Oh, that's Lori. Okay, that was cheating. Uh, so I guess I can see some Facebook comments, but uh, please uh, give us a shout out and let's, let us know that you are on one of the other platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, and uh, keep that conversation going because this is really about a conversation for we the people, not me the attorney. Uh, we the people. So at any rate, um, I, it's an interesting question to think about that true or false question of the day. Um, but really what struck me is, you know, and I, as I, I described this in, um, in the episode preview video, I think it might even be the description of, of today's video. But so those of you know um, about my Ormond Beach case right now, you know that I'm actually working on an appeal for that, of course, because, you know, I want the law followed. <gasps> and uh, it's my second appeal in Florida as a Florida resident. Remind, remember, I'm not a Florida licensed attorney. I'm licensed in five jurisdictions, including the U.S. Supreme Court, but not Florida. And uh, and that's going to be, you know, quite an expensive uphill battle to do. 
which I would do if people, if the people, as in we the people, wanted to pool funds and and donate to that and and pay for that, it's probably going to be ten or fifteen thousand dollars to apply for uh, the Florida bar. Um, it was at least ten thousand dollars to get everything all said and done with for the Michigan bar when I went over. Oh my goodness. Um, 15 years ago, man, I'm old. That is so ridiculous. When I moved from Michigan, from Minnesota over to Michigan and uh, swore in to the Michigan bar uh, as my second jurisdiction, that was 15 freaking years ago. All righty. Um, man, do I feel old. So uh, I can only imagine how much more expensive it's going to be. So anyway. Keep that in mind. I'm a Florida resident. I actually grew up in Orlando, but when I was in preschool and elementary school, middle school and starting high school, I moved I moved up north um, after I was 14. Uh, but all those years that I was here, do you think we learned Florida laws? No. Do you think we learned the Constitution? Uh, no. In the 80s and 90s, we didn't learn anything about that. I really didn't. I don't ever rem remember even learning much about specifics for Florida government, um, maybe some huge, like huge general concepts about um, our government in general uh, in our country, but that's about it. I certainly never heard of the word republic or constitutional republic, um, but I'm certain I must have been taught all about democracy since <laughs> that's what mainstream media and the government wants you to think that we have. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm not an attorney down here. I'm getting ready for this appeal, my second freaking appeal in the state of Florida. Um, again, for those of you who maybe are, are new and tuning in, I know we've had 4,000 new followers in the last four weeks or so. I'm not one of those attorneys that runs around suing the pants off of everybody, right? I'm not an ambulance chaser. I'm not. In fact, I have unending people asking me all the time to take their cases in every state. I mean, it doesn't even matter. People in states that I'm not, I've never been in, uh, never even visited, will ask me if I can represent them. And of course, the answer to that is always going to be no, because I'm not an attorney there, don't know the laws there, etc. Um, but even in Michigan, uh, where I am still currently uh, actively practicing, I'm not able to take new cases because I'm just so overwhelmed with all that there is to do in the freedom fight that I'm already doing and with uh, a few of my own cases that are hopefully going to pave the way for your freedom. Okay. So the one case that I'm working uh, the most on recently right now is from uh, an ordinance supposed violation, three of them that uh, the city of Ormond beach brought against me uh, in their special magistrate hearing process. We talked about in prior episodes what the procedure looks like in both Florida and Michigan courts and uh, what the appeals procedure for those is and what that looks like and how to represent yourself. So we went into specifics there. I'm not going to do that today. But what, what I want you to know is all I'm trying to do is figure out how to appeal to the next level from that dumbass decision that came out. As you can tell, I'm a little irritated about it. So the not nice words are probably going to fly a little bit today. My filters on set on low, um, but 
anyway, it is, it is. I love this comment. Sorry. Uh, let's, let's throw this on there. I don't know if I, I probably missed a whole bunch of other good comments, guys. If, if I missed I just get ready. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, I see there's some good discussion and I hadn't been looking at the comments there, but Liberty Lighthouse, it's extremely hard to find real constitutional attorneys. Uh, I'm sorry. I take a huge, huge uh, disagreement with that comment. Why? Because it's ended with a period and not an exclamation point. Uh, all attorneys, all attorneys swore an oath in every state, in every bar, whether it's a bar association type of setup or like in Minnesota, when I was licensed there, I, I wasn't a member of the Michigan bar um, ongoing. I was a member for the first year of practice because it was a free membership. But after that, I never renewed because it's not mandatory. I was a licensed attorney but I didn't have to be a member of the bar there. In Michigan, Florida, other states, um, there's it's a mandatory bar. In other words, if you are a licensed attorney, that equals being a member of the bar of that state. Now, either way, you take an oath through rules that are set up through your state Supreme Court, you take an oath to uphold the U.S. and state constitution. That is your number one job as an attorney. So, and, and shame on me because even though I was a freedom fighter for many years before COVID came into play, I didn't really grasp that concept. I, you could ask me anything about Minnesota or Michigan family law, divorces, bankruptcies, especially chapter sevens or chapter 13s. You could ask me about landlord tenant. I used to do presentations to uh, groups of, of small business owner landlords. Um, I've done presentations on, you know, will packages and, and how to set up a power of attorney or living wills, describing what those things are and how they all work. I used to go into like assisted living facilities or, you know, my church back in Midland, Michigan, they had me do a few presentations, um, you know, optional presentations, of course, to the congregation just to, to give them information. And um, there's some weird lighting. Hold on. Sorry, guys. This is unusual for me, but I'm going to. I look like a Smurf, and um, I don't know why, but I'm hoping this will help. Okay, actually making it darker in here, and yes, lo and behold, I'm no longer blue. Who knew that the yellow rays of the sun would actually make me look blue, and I'd have to close a curtain. Anyway, so um, my point in telling you this is that I was always the attorney willing to help people jump in at every situation. I, I've done collections on the defense side and on the collecting side. I've done bankruptcies. I've done divorce, custody, parenting time. I was such an expert in family law by the time I graduated from law school that before I was even licensed to practice law anywhere, I would have 30 and 40 year veteran attorneys calling me, asking me about all the new changes and things with the child support formulas and custody and parenting time laws. I mean, that's, I knew I'm, I'm no dummy and people would know that I knew what I was talking about even before I was licensed. So, um, why do I tell you all this? Well, because back then, honestly, I, I never thought to check much with the constitution. A law is what it is. I'm taking that at face value. Maybe I like it. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I really don't have an opinion, but I didn't write it. I'm not a legislator. Um, I did create some bills in um in minnesota and in michigan and lobbied for them and and tried to see them all the way through from start to finish so that they would become law 
uh, to make some, some good changes. But quite frankly, when I started that process as a young, you know, 18, 19 year old college student, um, try, you know, working three jobs and thinking of all the things that are just unjust about our society and trying to fix them, trying to modify legislation for that and lobbying legislators. Of course, I had no idea what I was doing, but, um, and I had already become a single mom by the time I was 19. So uh, my plate was pretty full, but I was adamant to make things better. But it didn't occur to me to be making sure I was grounding all of my, my thoughts, my resources, my time, my efforts, my suggestions, my bill language, that I was putting that in through the lens of whether it's constitutional first. So... Um, man, long time on one person's comment here, but it's true that it's hard to find constitutional attorneys because even though our number one damn job is that oath that we took to uphold the U.S. and state constitutions, most of us have never read them all the way through. Certainly not more than once or 10 times or, I mean, put it this way, if you're an attorney for crying out loud, if you're a judge a government official or an attorney, you should have read the constitution at least five times before you took your first job in that position and at least once a year all the way through and, and referencing it on a daily basis to make sure when you're doing your job that you're doing your number one job, which is to uphold the US and state constitutions. And I didn't even understand that myself, quite frankly, even though I harped on that and I, I wrote, you know, case briefs and I argued in, in litigation about that concept, I didn't really have it sink in for me until COVID. Until I was faced with tens of thousands of people that were calling me, texting me, emailing me, reaching out on social media until we broke my Facebook messenger. Um, and, you know, I was trying to keep up with all the little comments on all my posts and comments on other people's posts about this executive order or that government regulation or the legislature working on this bill or, you know, whatever. I wanted the people to know the truth. And the more that I was engaging in that, the more I was personally in the Constitution every single day. The more that I worked out some of the, I mean, it's it's absurd. We had never really thought about what the government was capable or willing to do, most of us. Now, some of you that have been in the freedom fight for a lot of years, I know there's many of you. Um, my friend Bill Hewer is one that comes to mind from the American Patriot Council. Uh, oh my goodness, I can't think of where you are. Um, starts with a B, I think. Um, anyway, where they have the the like tractor shows and all that. Anyway, in the middle of Michigan, in the middle of nowhere. Um, he's a friend of mine that has been doing this for decades. He's been fighting the freedom fight and talking about the constitution for decades, but it's still something that didn't quite sink in for me on a, on a, you know, integral basis, a daily basis until COVID when I'm having to explain to people like, whoa, this isn't right. This isn't right. Oh, where do you have permission? How, where can I show you in the law that you have permission to go to work, that you have permission to get groceries, that you have permission to buy a gallon of paint from Home Depot, despite a governor's orders? Where where do I, I point to the law or the Constitution to tell you 
how, you know, it's wrong that churches would be supposedly, you know, ordered to shut down, but uh, strip clubs and bars and tobacco shops could be open. I mean, it's, it's the most absurd stuff we never would have seen coming from the vast majority of us that put me into uh, total constitutional mode, right? What is the source of all these laws? Where's the source of the authority, the authority and the power that's being exercised? And so it is nearly impossible to find a good constitutional attorney. In fact, if you know of one in Michigan, let me know because I need to sue the hell out of all those Allegan County officials that violated my rights, knowing I was a constitutional attorney, knowing I was there representing other people and their rights. I mean, literally, for those of you who don't know it, check out that video on the front page of my website, restorefreedomkh.com. I literally showed up to the scene to talk to some deputies, to educate them on the law, because my clients, were there legally circulating a petition, a constitutional amendment petition, gathering signatures. That's all they were doing. And they were illegally threatened with arrest. And what happened? They ended up violently arresting me within minutes of, of them actually fully all coming on, on scene and, and me trying to get them to talk about the law. So if they're willing to do that to me, they're willing to do it to you. They're willing to do it to anyone. I mean, they're going to come after a constitutional attorney. One month prior to that, I had just been on in front of live TV in front of millions of people talking about the decision coming down from the United, or excuse me, from the Michigan Supreme Court on the governor's executive orders. Why? Because I had been one of the attorneys arguing in the Michigan Supreme Court against that. So just two months prior to my arrest, almost two months to the day, I had argued in front of the Michigan Supreme Court. The governor knows who damn well I am. The AG of Michigan knows damn well who I am. Even uh, Jocelyn Benson knows who I am because I was fighting all of their bullshit from day one. And finally, the media started picking up some of what we were doing and they know who I am. So in Allegan County, they knew exactly who I was. And if they were willing to do that to somebody who had been working for free all year long to fight for freedom, just living on donations and saying, guys, if you want me to keep this up, keep bringing in some donations so I can file these motions and, and go to these events and teach people this and help people there. And we, the people did something that year and they, they were still willing in Allegan County, three deputies, the sheriff himself, five prosecuting attorneys, five, two district court judges, one circuit court judge, all of whom violated the constitution, court rules, state laws, you name it, left and right. So we need to hold them accountable, but I only have so much freaking time in the day. So if you know of a good constitutional attorney willing to take on new cases and actually do a good job, unlike some of these freedom fighters that have supposedly been in, you know, circulating around Michigan for the last few years, let me know. If you know of good constitutional attorneys, really actual constitutional attorneys down here in Florida, let me know because I'd love to team up with them. But so far of the ones I've spoken with, met in person, you name it, they're good people. They are well-intentioned. They actually love freedom, but they start with the premise that it's okay that our constitution or our law, our state constitution or our laws or... Uh, municipal, you know, ordinances or whatever 
are you know infringing upon some of our rights that we just we just have to take it little by little to get some of them back i start with the premise that's not their damn job to try to put those regulations in place they're unconstitutional and void on their face and we need to bring down the whole freaking house of cards that's where i start from and i have yet to meet any other attorney on the planet who's educated hardworking, and starting with that same premise so I, I want to tell you, this is a public service. I didn't get to watch the whole video, but he just uploaded a video where he goes to, um, I think they were police officers, and asks them, what are the, how do you say it? This is a public service. Um, he basically asked them what the First Amendment is. And my, I've seen other people do that, too. And that even these officers or, or these deputies, you know, they can't do that. And so I think if we encourage people to ask either deputies or if they know an attorney, ask them that question. And, and this is a public service. If you can type that out for us exactly how you ask that question. I think he first started it with um, if, if you don't know the answer to a question, are you willing to? look into it and get that answer or something like that. He does it better. Maybe I'll pull up the video and share it as well. But I think that's important. It's having these conversations like that and getting people to think, and it isn't a, I have rights. You can't do this to me argument back and forth. This is a, Hey, <laughs> you're, Oh, I'm sure they don't, but this is how you start making them think. So for those of you who are just listening, uh, this is a public service for <laughs> our friend Foshin, uh, who she was just mentioning, is responding to what she's saying. And he says, none of them know, meaning the First Amendment or the Constitution or whatever. None of them know. None. Zero. And uh, he actually had uh, a great little clip recently from um, the city of Ormond Beach. In fact, the manager of the Neighborhood Improvement Division who is out there, you know, enforcing all these codes and asked him about his oath of office and if he had to take one in order to be in that position. Now, legally, we know he has to, but he answered at first, he said no. And then after some backtracking and some going around back and forth on the issue, he eventually said, oh, well, something like, yeah, you mean one of those pages or papers in, in HR that they have? Oh my gosh, are you freaking kidding me? You are working in the police department. You are the division of neighborhood improvement uh, manager. And you don't understand that when you're out there trying to enforce any kind of code or ordinance or anything whatsoever, that you can only enforce it if it's constitutional in nature. You don't even know that you're bound to follow the freaking constitution. Obviously, you're not going to know what the constitution says then. It's disturbing. And I don't think the guy, I don't know much about him. His name's Chris Mason. I don't know if he's mean or rude or obnoxious or smart or dumb. I, I don't know. But I could tell you that he appeared to be intelligent. He appeared to be able to follow back and forth of a conversation. Um, you know, he appeared to be kind mannered uh, in the little bit that I personally saw him. Uh, so where's the excuse? It, it's such a disconnect. And we need better. We need better. Um, so Foshin tells us, uh, if one of the people came up to you and asked you a question and you didn't know the answer to it, oh, I can't read the sticky thing. Hold on. Um, but by all right, it was something you should know the answer to. 
I guess I'm not, I feel like there's, I'm missing part of that. Would you make a good faith effort to find out the answer to that question? Okay. So, um, would I personally, I'll tell you what, especially let's put myself in, in the shoes of when I was a government official. Well, technically I'm still a government official. I'm, I'm a licensed practicing attorney in Michigan and that is a government official. But even when I was, um, I've served on planning commissions in cities in Michigan, uh, downtown development authority boards. I served on the seventh largest township board uh, in the state of Michigan, Georgetown Township as a trustee uh, or board member. Um, I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting, but I've served in government roles. Um, really, I think all of them have been volunteer, basically, except I think we got maybe like a few hundred dollars or something um, being a trustee. I don't even know. I never saw the paychecks. It was automatically deposited. So um, at any rate, um, when I was in that role, any of those small roles, my job was if somebody's coming to me with a question, especially as township trustee, that's not a small little carve out or something like township trustee, anything relating to business in the township, anything relating to the township, right? Whether the township had authority to do this or a resident could do that or whatever, right? If I didn't know the answer, I did go look it up. I looked through our entire, all of our codes and our ordinances. I looked at the constitution. I looked through state law. If I didn't know an answer, which back then was really rare because I was like up reading all that stuff on a regular basis. How many times have I read Michigan Township Law? Way too many. <laughs> chapters 41 and chapters 42 of the Michigan um, um, compiled laws, I can tell you, relate to Michigan Townships. So, um, you know, chapter 168 is, you know, Michigan election law, especially dealing with when you're out there collecting signatures. This is all stuff that normal people don't keep up here, let me tell you. But if I didn't know an answer that I knew was something in my purview that I should know, I mean, if somebody comes up and asks me a question about medical malpractice, that's not my thing. Like, I, sorry, I don't know. I'm not going to look up, you know, look it up either. <laughs> that's not what I'm, I'm not getting paid to do that. But if it's something about government that I should know, I'm going to do that. Now, if I was in law enforcement, now let me, let me back up. So when well, I, before you, before you go on, just gonna, so you know, hold on, I'm going to go ahead. Finish this thought. So when when I was in that role as a township trustee, my job, I was on the legislative branch, right? I was part of the legislative branch. So our job was to handle our local laws, right? Our ordinances and our resolutions and things like that. So before every meeting, I'm pretty sure I was the only one. Maybe Michael Bosch did too, but I read every single piece of paper. So I not only read all the things that were being proposed to us for us to take action on, but I would read the planning commission meeting minutes as well. And the stuff that they had looked at part of the official record for their decisions, because if we were being asked to approve uh, what something that they did, a recommendation, a recommendation they put through or something. I needed to know what the background was. I don't care if how I don't even know how many people were on there. I don't care if five people voted yes unanimously to send something to us to approve of. Great. Okay, so I'm starting from the premise that it's probably a good thing to go with. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to read every single law that relates to what we're doing and find you know go over everything with a fine tooth comb to make sure it's legit. That was my job. 
And if I was a law enforcement um, member, if I was, you know, a cop, if I, if I was out there in one of those roles, a neighborhood improvement division officer, I would sure as hell make sure that I knew the basics of all the laws relating to that before I went out trying to enforce them. It's just, it's just mind blowing. So, all right. So Lori, was it? No, that was the. Well, so what I, what the point was, is this is a question that he asked them. And I thought it was important for you to say what you, your response would be as well, because that's how basically your response should have been what their response was. And so he asked if, if they would be willing to dig into it, his exact wording is if one of the people came up to them and asked them a question and they didn't know the answer, would they make a good faith effort to do that? And then that's the other part. And then he, and then he asked them if they know the five freedoms secured to us by the first amendment and his original statement, none of them know is, you know, what I was seeing in that recording. And I shared that in the comments there, but um, you would think that, or I always thought the five were easy to know because it's so blasted freedom of religion, you know, freedom of speech. I could do this, you know, that kind of stuff, but it's amazing what they don't know. And even attorneys, I think if, if we start finding attorneys and asking them if they're willing to have that conversation, if we can just start them on that. All right. <laughs> I hope you're paying attention. Cause uh, we'll, we'll test me here. Cause I honestly don't think about it this way. If I was studying, if I was cramming for a constitutional law 101 class, I would totally memorize it in terms of, well, there's five parts of this and three parts of that and six of the, but I, that's not how I do it in my day-to-day -day life. So I love to think of myself as a phenomenal constitutional attorney who knows it frontward and backward better than 99% of all other attorneys or legal professionals or anybody. Okay. I'd like to think that that is me, but what are the five freedoms secured to us by the first amendment? Let's see if I could do this. Okay. So you have the uh, freedom of religion. You have the freedom of press. You have the freedom of speech. You have the right to petition your government for redress of grievances. See, and I'm going to get stuck. You have the right to um, peaceably assemble. Would that be the five? Um, see, I wouldn't, if it now, it doesn't mean that I, the one I got stuck on was the right to peaceably assemble. I know that one backwards and forwards. I just don't think about it in that context. So if somebody goes, does that change the way you do think about it? I mean, that's what I think he's doing. I was, it was really exciting to watch the interaction in that video because you're like, wait a minute, do I know these? And do I realize how important they are? You know, those kind of things. And when you change it up, because really without that, and then of course, without the second amendment, what, what kind of power can we exert? to our employees without those two things or yeah. those sets. It gets me thinking though, um, the Liberty cause, and this is a public service, uh, quite frankly, any of my Liberty minded friends, okay. Any of my constitution minded friends, this would be you, but the two of you, especially cause you're in the chat here and you're on the top of my mind and you live in my County. I think what we should do is actually come up with a quiz that I can throw on my website. We could do it as a Google quiz, whatever, either way, 
put it as a quiz of, you know, some simple, basic, okay, so, you know, the right to due process of law is guaranteed under, and then it's multiple choice, right? Uh, your right to be, you know, you're, you're guaranteed equal protection under the law, uh, under what, you know? Um, so anyway, just something like that. Uh, not the point of what we're talking about here today, but uh, just something that I thought, uh, just thought of that I know, I think we've talked about this before. I know I've talked about it in general before, but something that maybe could grow into the kind of quiz that you, um, you know, if, if Ottawa Impact or America First or any of these kind of packs or things like that, if they want to ensure that they're dealing with truly constitution-minded candidates before they go and put their endorsement behind someone for any kind of race, then hopefully we can put together something that becomes widely used and uh, and and gets the word out there and, and helps educate people. Because again, when I ran for state rep in 2015, 2016 in the state of Michigan, uh, I, uh, first of all, didn't want to. Uh, long story, but I was called to do it, and uh, Congressman Justin Amash was the first person to say something to me about it, and when he did, Mike and I literally died laughing the whole 45-minute drive home. We were at a barbecue with Justin Amash, and he's a great guy, nice guy, uh, and uh, that was before he did all the, you know, uh, Liberty Caucus versus Trump and all that other kind of stuff, right? So this is when everybody who loved the Constitution loved Justin Amash. I'll just put it that way. And when he asked me to do that, I was like, yeah, you're, dude, you're barking up the wrong tree because I didn't go through all that law school to have a two-year job as a state rep. Like, why would I do that? Anyway, God called me to do that. And it wasn't until I started getting the questionnaires from PACs, such as Michigan for Vaccine Choice, and all their questions about medical freedom that I even realized that was even an issue. Really? I mean, now, I mean, with COVID and everything, you'd think everybody knows it's a damn issue. But back then, it didn't even occur to me. I was like, wait, what? I mean, our three older kids were older and Emma was a little taut and I hadn't really seen the full recommended vaccine schedule yet. She hadn't, you know, she hasn't gotten all of those uh, three billion shots of different things that are experimental in nature and not studied for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential. But uh, anyway, I, it's just stuff I never even thought of. So having some sort of questionnaire like that, getting, you know, not getting in people's faces, but getting the information, those concepts in front of people when they're running for office, when they are just an employee working in the government sector, anything like that, just to get people thinking more about it, make that the commonplace message, replace this democracy bullshit and, uh, you know, all the other I'm going to start a whole nother topic of the conversation, but all the other BS that they do replace all that. Um, anyway, so I haven't really started too much here. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today is something that, um, and uh, John James on YouTube is saying it's the courts that are getting rid of your rights. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of conversation going back and forth on that. And, and nobody can take take our rights unless we give them basically by not standing. So to to blame it on the courts or blame it on any one entity, whether it be local, state, federal, government, is is not the proper way. Yes, they are doing things wrong, but we also haven't been doing things right. And so when when we're 
by starting these conversations, not only are we going to learn what we don't know or by having the interaction with people that they have a different viewpoint that makes you think things more thoroughly or makes it stick stronger for you until these conversations are had and and we start getting enough people activated to stand in front of these people that are refusing to listen to us, then that's when accountability starts happening. And once accountability starts happening from ourselves saying, oops, we haven't been doing our part to them, then we're going to start to see some real change. And it's going to be, it's it's going to take a strong, big effort. It's not going to be easy at all. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're good. Um, I just realized to get into one of my, um, points I wanted to talk about. Let's see. I'll go, I'll go with this. Okay. So, wow. That made us really small. Yeah. You can kick me out so that I'm okay with being kicked out (laughs) so that it can be bigger and then you can be bigger. Well, I didn't have too much to show you guys here. Okay. I'll, I'll make this, um, a little bit, let's see if I can do it. Um, like that. What the heck? Why is it putting it way off to the side like that? Oh, this is stupid technology. It's fabulous. All right. I guess it is what it is. So what I wanted to show you guys is, um, one of the comments that one of the things that's occurred to me, and I've known this for many years, many years. In fact, it might've been when I was a freshman in college, you know, we're talking 17 years old. I, I started writing down these ideas about, uh, different things. What, um, what are some things that would make our, our government more efficient? What are things that would be better? What, how, you know, whatever. One of the things that I wrote down, even being raised by a family of insane liberals. Okay. One of the things I wrote down is something I wanted to work towards was the fact that our laws should be no more voluminous in nature, right? There shouldn't be too many laws such that you wouldn't be able to learn them all in the four years of high school. That there can only be so many laws that a an average student can learn them in ninth through 12th grade. And that we would have to, you know, learn on, about them and talk about them. If it's something that is too convoluted for a typical ninth through 12th grader to understand, it's too convoluted for a typical American to understand. Let's just be frank about it. And looking at the sheer number of laws, take a look at the Florida legislature. Well, this is the Florida Senate's. um, I find it weird. I'm just going to say, I find it weird that in Michigan, you have the Florida, excuse me, the Michigan legislature. Now the House and the Senate each have their own websites, et cetera. But the legislature itself as one body has a website where you can find all the official statutes and bill history and you name it. But here, the Senate and the House each have pieces. And I find it really disturbing, actually, because whatever, neither here nor there. (laughs) Anyway, take a look at your your state, wherever you are. Just take a look at the table of contents, uh, that listing of all of your laws on the books. And they're typically, they have titles or chapters. 
Um, and so you just look down how many chapters are there in the state of Florida. Now they're not, they don't use every single chapter. I think sometimes they have ones that are skipped. Maybe a section was repealed, you know, a whole chapter might've been repealed or they reserved it for some reason. But like, look at this, uh, there's, it, it skips from 896 in Florida, um, right to 900 and then skips from 985 straight to 1000, right? So there's 15 chapters right there that there is no law, right? However, there are 1,014 chapters of Florida state laws, 1,014 chapters minus the ones that are repealed or whatever. Each inside of each one, like for example, here, if you click on that or not, I guess it's going to do whatever it wants. Um, if you click on that, you can see how many, you know, see all the chapters. So that was a bad one. Cause that's just one, but let's, let's see civil rights in, in the title on civil rights you have one, two, three chapters. In just chapter 760 of parts one, two, three, four, five. And within each one of those, you have the statutes. There's 11 in this part, 18 in this part, 21 in this part. Are you kidding me? Nephi doesn't like it either. Um. That's a lot of statutes. And each of these statutes, some of them are small. Seriously, some statutes uh, in every state, some of them are literally one or two sentences. It's, it's a very straight to the point kind of thing, right? Um, however, some of them are pages and pages long. So on average, I don't know, let's just say each one on average is three pages of normal size font here. That's insane. You have over a thousand chapters. Each one have, you know, has, I don't know. Um, this particular one has 854. Chapter 760 in Florida has 854 separately numbered sections of Florida law. So if you took a thousand times 854 times three pages on average of each law, who would ever know all that? And if you can't know it, I mean, shoot, they say the ignorance of the law is no excuse, except for if you're serving in government. So how is that even remotely reasonable? That is one of the things that was dumbfounding to me and really frustrating. So not only that, you have state laws, but what about you have municipal? This is code of ordinances here in, in the city of Ormond Beach. That's a lot of different articles and chapters and sections right there. Okay. Um, what about court rules? Oh, I closed that. I had it open. What about court rules? Um, in fact, here in the state of Florida, also something weird. So just like how the legislature in, in Michigan, there's a main legislature webpage that has all the official laws. Well, in the state of Florida, the um, you, you don't go to the Supreme Court to find the Supreme Court approved court rules. No, you have to go to the Florida bar. In fact, the, the Florida Supreme Court's website links to the Florida bar. So stupid. 
in Michigan, Michigan has a mandatory bar for attorneys, but are all people needing to know about cases attorneys? No. So all the statute, excuse me, all the court rules, the official copy is housed where? It's the Michigan support Supreme Court website. I never thought in a million years I would be looking at things going, wow, Michigan really had it together in that sense and Florida doesn't, but dang, Florida, what the hell? So if you go to the um this is this is the high-tech version we're not going to do that screen sharing stuff i'm going to hold up a piece of paper that you can't read um in the michigan supreme court excuse me florida supreme court and this i just printed today or yesterday yeah yesterday um it shows court rules and other documents and then it has this list of all these different court rules and other kinds of documents and quite frankly it's it's really confusing to some degree about this then if you click on one of them, where does it take you? The Florida Bar website. So the, the Florida Bar Association. Um, and then this is where you see all the official court rules. Now, here's the thing. All these court rules in Michigan, you get one book. I have copies behind me. It's uh, there. <laughs> the purple version, because uh, mine is a couple of years old. Um, but that is the Michigan court rules. And it has the rules on civil proceedings and, and criminal cases and um, family court cases, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, in Florida, they have pretty much the similar kind of setup, but there are a few other complications, I'll, I'll just say that way. Um, so at any rate, when you go to represent yourself, or you just want to learn more about how to do something, how to be in courts somewhere. Um, what I had to do was start printing this stuff out. I don't know about you, but I can't read thousands of pages on my computer screen and have it all retained, partially because I have a photographic memory. And so part of my memory serves me well when I'm re recalling, am I reading that on on the top right of a page? Is it on the back side on a bottom left corner? You know, where in the in the, my binder or my book did I find that? Those are things that help me when I read. But it's all one big document, one big piece of paper if it's online, right? And and it's anyway, I just I don't like it. Um so I went to go figure out in this appeal, okay, what all do I need to know about? I need to know about the code of ordinances, I need to comb through our state constitution. I need to go through any Florida statutes that are helpful. Um, the, I don't know if I said court rules um, and then cases. Why cases? Well, because the magistrate in my case didn't care one iota about what the law actually said. He said on any of those laws, well, can you point to cases where they followed that law? Are you serious? <laughs> We're not gonna just follow it because it's the damn law? You want a case to see that somebody else followed the law anyway so you know i have some work ahead of me and this is for an appeal that of something i didn't bring remember i'm not the ambulance chaser i'm not the one running down and, and trying to start all these lawsuits i'm responding to things where people are trying to deny my rights so um i printed off this list now of all these lists of the florida um the different types of, of court rules there's three three sets of pdfs that would apply to me might not seem that big of a deal right just three right so the the rules of civil procedure this would apply to you um in almost any kind of 
case that you'd be in, uh, the rules of general practice and judicial administration. Now, I'll tell you, if you're in the state of Michigan, uh, that's basically what chapter one is in the Michigan court rules, but it's chapter two down here in Florida. Uh, applies to basically all kinds of cases. So why do they start with civil procedure? Who knows? Um, in Michigan, the rules of civil procedure are chapter two. Anyway, and then chapter nine here in Florida, chapter nine is the rules of, of appellate procedure. So three sets of court rules. Okay, no big deal. I'll just print those, right? I ran out of freaking paper twice and I'm printing front and back. So each one of these is typically, you know, 255, 275 pages. And I have three sets of rules. That's just the court rules. Look, I'm sorry for all the, today's my potty mouth day, but what kind of bullshit is that? Three sets of rules that total, you know, on average 750 pages. I had to reprint them because I had versions printed for my first appeal that I did when we first moved down here. And um, in the meantime, they updated them because they have to keep changing things. And what was I going to do? Was I going to, is was it going to be quicker for me to go with a fine tooth comb and look for every single court rule to see which ones were changed and print those pages or see if they're relevant to me? No, but it's taken me a very long time to go and find all the pages places that I have tabbed or highlighted or whatever, print the new ones and, and transfer all my notes and highlighting and things like that. And it's insane. I'm an attorney. Now I'm not a Florida licensed attorney. I'm just a regular Joe down here, but I I'm telling you guys these things because you shouldn't have to rely on an attorney. You shouldn't have to rely on somebody else to read the law, to read the constitution, to represent yourself in court, but you got to know your facts. And one of the, the sad facts is that right now, our amount of the, just the sheer volume of court rules and laws and cases and, and all of it is just, it's insane. So just look at the thickness of this. This is front and back, printed front and back, okay? This is just, it's two things. This is all the court rules on, on appeals, just on appeals. Huh. This is, I don't know, how many pages is this one? 266. And then you have something that's similarly like 260 something. That's um, a handbook that the state bar put together to help people that represent themselves in appeals. Okay. So just those two things on appeals, look how freaking big that is double sided. It is mind blowing. No wonder why it's overwhelming for people. Let me put it this way. I would have filed my appeal or at least my notice of appeal. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about how to start that? It's a one-page document. It's not that hard to do that. I have 30 days to do that. But man, it, that one paper starts the ball rolling on all these other things. I need to know exactly what time is starting to tick and what the procedures are and what I have to do and where it has to go and who I file it with and who I have to serve copies to and how do I serve them? Because that's all different here than it is in Michigan. And that is stupid. Every state shouldn't be this complicated. So there's too many. They're too complex. I mean, I, as an attorney, as a fairly intelligent attorney, not a Florida attorney, but an attorney nonetheless, I've passed every bar exam I've ever taken. I passed on the first try. I'm still admitted in every bar I've ever been a part of, except for the Minnesota one, because I stopped taking cases there ago, maybe 10 years ago or more. 
So my point is, if anybody should be able to handle looking all, through all these rules and, and procedures and laws and figure out what the next steps are in a situation, you would think it would be me. But um, give me a second here. I'm going to take take that off. Okay, so um, why do I tell you this? Well, in the course of the last couple weeks since my hearing happened here in the city of Ormond Beach, I have been, my mind has been blown. Like I, it's, I cannot even wrap my mind around some of these concepts. Do I have to file it as a petition, as a motion, as a complaint? How do I do that? I know which court, I go to the circuit court, but it's taken me a little bit. And, and quite frankly, sometimes it takes me explaining it all to Mike for it to really click. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So in Florida, here's a little tidbit. In Florida, when you start a lawsuit, every single thing you start, it either has to start with a petition or a complaint. Now, those of you that have been in the legal system, you know, even as attorneys or not, uh, a time or two, you might think, well, that sounds pretty, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But it's just one of those things that I'm like, well, wait, how is that different? Is it different from some other way? And, and which one is it? Is it a complaint? Is, a, is it a petition? How do I know which one? And I don't want to have things kicked out or have my, you know, fees grow because I've done it the wrong way and I have to refile it or something. I don't want to miss a deadline because I've done it the wrong way. So uh, that is all very, it's just, anyway, it's overwhelming. Um, a lot of our laws are contradictory. And I know some of you that have been in the freedom fight a long time, you're going to go, duh. But it's just something I want the rest of you to know. A lot of our laws contradict another law. So you could be in, say, just in the state of Florida. In the state of Florida, there are laws on the books over here, and there's other laws on the books in this other chapter over here, and they contradict. And then that leads even more to the issue of cherry picking, when government officials are just cherry picking which laws they're deciding they want to follow. Now, one of the main reasons is because they just don't understand. They don't understand all the laws that are out there. They don't understand what the Constitution is requiring. They don't understand what procedures are all involved. They're just, well, this is the way we've always done it. Or this is the way the manual tells me to do it. Or this is what my boss is telling me to do. So at any rate, those are those are all things that are not okay. In our Republican form of government, where we retain the ultimate control and authority, Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution guarantees us that Republican form of government. Okay? In this form of government, where we the people retain ultimate control and authority, Legislators cannot just keep making more and more laws. Now, a law might be used to repeal another law. Okay, that's probably a good thing, right? But they can't just add more and more things and regulations to the books. And they can't have laws that on their own contradict within itself or contradict with other laws. It's not okay because that denies us due process, which were guaranteed under both the fifth and 14th amendments of the US Constitution. So it's not okay just to leave it as, sorry guys, I've got to turn my fan up. It is 3000 degrees. It's only this hot in here because I'm getting mad. Oh, but it is not okay that we have that many laws on the books. It's not okay that even the legislators who make the laws could not tell you more. I bet you they couldn't name more than five 
um, five portions of the law. Like if you say, what, 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 uh, you know, what chapter are divorces covered in in Florida law and, and where does it talk about DUIs and where does it talk about municipal ordinances and where does it talk about the rules on election day? You couldn't, you could not find a legislator that off the top of their head or even within five minutes can easily pull that up and tell you the answer to that. That's if the legislators, who many of our many of them are attorneys, mind you, but if legislators can't even know that, there's too much crap on the books. It's too convoluted. It's too contradictory. It's complicated, and it doesn't need to be. In fact, it can't be. What does that mean? Legislators in every single state all across the nation, they have a lot of work to do. And what they need to start by doing is getting rid of all the unconstitutional laws, all the contradictory laws, all the stuff that's so overly complicated that you can't sit down and read it and understand what it means, even as a ninth through 12th grader. All of those laws need to go. So unrelated, kind of, sort of, not really unrelated, but out of that complexity that I've been reignited in my passions and hatred for uh, the way that our government officials have gone rogue for far too long is the concept of appealing. So we talked about this in different places here or there, but basically something you need to realize, no matter what state you're in, there's a, there's a concept that you need to realize. A lot of people assume, and I was one that really didn't think much about this, but when you talk about cases making it to uh, your state Supreme Court or the US Supreme Court, right? Those are the ones that get the big attention. Um, most often those are done by appeals. Those are cases that have gone through the courts, gone all the way up on appeal. So appeals, what kinds are there? There's two main kinds. I know I've gone through all the the fine tooth details of this and bored you in prior episodes. And there's, you know, the slideshow presentations and stuff you can find on our website, restorefreedomkh.com. But two main kinds, appeals by right and appeals by leave or permission. So in most scenarios, all states, they'll give you that one crack, at, you know, one, one bite at the apple, right? So you have one level of appeal that is by right, typically. And then after that, if you need to keep going, then you have to ask permission to have your case heard. Or if it's if your case is not over yet and you're in the middle of something, you have to ask permission to have your appeal heard before the case is done at the lower level. So why am I talking about that? It's just something I want you to, Plant that seed in the back of your mind for if you ever need to know that, if you're ever thinking about appeals, because it's something that um, that's a fellow freedom fighter, Tom Norton. If you're in Michigan, you know Tom. I'm sure you do. Um, say hello to him the next time you see him for me. <laughs> He's the one calling me right now. Um, okay, so. What's a common phrase that many of us have heard in cases and don't quite understand? Well, one is a petition for sure. I can't even say it. A, pet a petition for cert is the short way to say it. A petition for certiorari. Okay. That is where the appellate court 
you're asking them for permission. In Michigan, it's referred to as an application for leave to appeal. But it's where either one of those phrases, it's where you're asking for permission to appeal because you don't, for some reason, you don't have the right to appeal, at least not to that court or not at that time. So just some things I wanted you to keep in mind. Now, why am I talking about those? Well, here's a concept, no matter what state you're in, no matter what topic of freedom fighting is most important to you, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your age level or occupation is, I want you to know this. Every law in every word in a law has a meaning and many court cases throughout the years have emphasized this. It's, it's a given they presume that the legislature picks their words very carefully. So, um, every single word, even words that you take for granted. Now let, let's give you an example. So you can, before I talk about why, or give you some, some pointers about this, I want you to see this as an example so you can kind of see it play out. So in my own case, and I have something in both of my contacts, so that's super stellar. My eyes are blurry right now. Okay. So in, um, in the case, in my case with my pavers, my fence, my shipping containers, etc., the judge ordered that, um, there, the city, I have to basically take it all out. And um, if I don't buy a certain date in just a couple weeks here, then the city can supposedly come in and take it off my property. They can destroy my property, my, my real estate and my personal property. They can steal my stuff and trespass. That's what he ordered. Okay. Among many other reasons why that's wrong. One of the things is he's talking about, um, listen to this. So there's a state law. Uh, here in Florida, it's 162.08 subdivision five, that a special magistrate is authorized to issue an order having the force of law to command whatever steps are necessary to bring a violation into compliance. Command. Who is he commanding? He's commanding someone to take action. Now, if you look at the language and all the other words that they use, when it's talking about government officials, like the City Neighborhood Improvement Division, for example, it's mentioned that they are given permission. They're given authority to do X, Y, or Z. But we as people, as residents, as members of the public, we are commanded, we are being ordered to do something. So his authority, and he quoted that part of the law himself, his authority is to command us to do something. So if, if, if he had the authority to command us to remove those things I just mentioned from our property, okay, so he can command us to do that. But he took it a step further. And he is, is saying that the city is then authorized to enter onto our property and remove and dispose of everything and charges for it and turn those charges and all the other costs and fees here into a lien on our home and our personal property. Man, he's really taking it far. Well, command. Command is to command us to do something. Now, the next section in that law talks about fees. Okay, so it says that he has the right to impose fees. Well, it talks about all of that with fees, but then what about in terms of the costs of repair? 
Well, in Florida law, it, he's saying that I would have to pay for the cost of them to come and remove my stuff from my property, that I would have to pay them to do that. All the Florida law allows him to do is charge me fees. And in certain circumstances, I can be um, ordered to pay for the costs of repair. But words matter. Okay. So that would be like a double taking, wouldn't it? Not only taking your property, but then taking your money. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Actually, that's a good point, Lori. Um, stick around because I'll use you to help me write write uh, the arguments here. Okay. So oh, whoops. Let me zip my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one thing it's, it's beyond, you know, really the point of what I was trying to no, it, no, it matters here is and our city code actually almost verbatim copies the words of this state law from, so no matter which one he looks to, they say basically the same things. Okay. And it says that, um, if there's a previous order that I have violated. So if he had issued this order that he did a couple weeks ago saying, I have to remove my pavers, my shipping containers and my fence, left it at that, put the period there. Then by a certain date, I didn't follow it. Then the neighborhood improvement division can come to him and let him know that I didn't comply. Then he can issue a subsequent order, a second piece of paper that then says that I, owe certain money. Okay. This was all on one piece of paper telling me to remove it, telling me when I have to pay, uh, all the fees that I have to pay, all that stuff is all on one piece of paper. There's no subsequent order. There's no reference to a previous order. It's the same order. So when the word literally previous is used to reference that it had to be a previous order that wasn't followed, words matter in a statute. Words matter. And that's to break up the steps so that they can't just come in in one foul swoop and do everything that they're trying to do here. Okay. But then words matter. What it says is that if I have not removed all this stuff, uh, if, if it falls under a certain category, then um, he then can notify the local governing body, which here is the city commission. He can notify them and they can authorize my pavers to come and be removed, my fence to be removed, my shipping containers to be removed. The law does not allow the special magistrate himself to authorize anyone to come on my property and remove anything. Then he's also, this is talking about repairs. If they're going to be doing, the law says that this, the city commission would then be, um, in, in that sense, they, in certain circumstances, they would be authorized to make repairs necessary. The word is repairs. It doesn't say removal. It doesn't say demolition. It doesn't say anything. It literally authorizes them in certain circumstances to make repairs. I looked in the entirety of the state laws about um the building code and the community planning act, the word repair is not defined. I went to our uh, local, our, our land development um, um, code, LDC here, that's the city's version. It's not defined there either. 
I went to Black's Law Dictionary, which is, this is the series that you would want to do when you look up what does a word mean. That's where you want to go. You want to go to that, the first and foremost authority on the point, and then go to any other authority that would be relevant. Then if it's nowhere there, then you go to Black's Law Dictionary, because that particular dictionary has been accepted widely in states um, all across the country. But the word repair is not in there. It's not defined in there. So then what do you do? You have to go to a well-renowned dictionary like Webster's or um, Cambridge or something. And it's talking about fixing, fixing something that is broken. My pavers are not broken. My fence is not broken. My shipping containers are not broken. Now, if you look at other parts of the code, it's talking about issues of where it's blight or um, unsafe structures where uh, a collapse is imminent and they're worried about the safety of the public because this building or structure might collapse and harm people. Well, then you start thinking about those things and it makes sense why a government might be allowed, a local government might be allowed to come and make some repairs or do something. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying at least it makes more sense. There's a logical step to that, right? But my papers aren't harming anyone. <laughs> my shipping containers, my privacy fence, not harming anyone in any way. No one's even alleged it's harming anyone. So the word repair means something. The judge needs to realize that. The city needs to realize that. All the words in a law have a purpose and have a meaning. But what's even more than that, I'll just tell you, is that this law that I was talking about, the reason why they only use the word repair as being what's what could be authorized by the city commission, not the special magistrate, is that it's for repair under a certain code where it's talking about that there's imminent danger to the public health or safety. So hmm, then that makes sense why they would use that in conjunction with the blight or unsafe structures or things like that, right? Those would make sense. They work together. Not that I agree with it, but it makes sense. They didn't come after me under a blight ordinance or an unsafe structure because my all of my stuff stayed up during the hurricanes, two freaking hurricanes. Everybody else's sheds are flying around like it's the Wizard of Oz. I know that's a tornado, but they're flying around like it's the Wizard of Oz. And I'm literally seeing parts of my neighbor's sheds flying all around. And my shipping containers didn't budge a millimeter. Not at all. My fence, my fence is the only fence on all of Beachside, Daytona, Ormond Beach, you name it, that I saw that didn't lose a single piece. Not one piece fell off. No, you cannot hire me to build you a fence. I designed it, Mike and I built it, but I'm not available for fence building services. <laughs> but it goes to show, this is just examples. This has nothing to do with the reasons why those parts are in the law. So when the law says that if that part of the code is involved, which it's not, then the city commission has the authority to come and make repairs. This is not a repair. The city commission didn't order it. It wasn't a second order. It's all done in one order by this judge, magistrate. Um, and it has nothing to do with it's the wrong kind of code that's being pursued. Me simply not having a permit 
is not going to give them the authority to come and remove stuff. So, um, now I got to see why, why did I want to tell you all that? Okay. So in the end, no matter what you're dealing with, whatever ordinance law, whatever, you name it. If you're dealing with something that's a state law, if you're dealing with something that's at your township, county, or city level, I want you to think about the fact that every single word in a law has meaning and the courts interpret it that way when they're doing their job. They're supposed to interpret it that way because they're not supposed to interpret. They're supposed to follow, right? So you need to look at, is that word defined in the law, that particular law? If it's not, is that word defined in another relevant, applicable law? If not, is that word defined in Black's Law Dictionary? If not, then go to a commonly accepted, reputable dictionary like Webster's or Cambridge. Okay, so all of that got me thinking, okay, so why do people really lose in court? I represented myself, but I mean, shoot, the stinking magistrate called me up at the end just to shake my hand firmly, look me in the eye and tell me, you know, congratulate me on a job well done, which infuriated Mike because he said, no, she didn't do a good <laughs> job. She did a great job. <laughs> Love you, babe. Um, I'm not a Florida licensed attorney, but I went in there more prepared than anyone has ever been prepared in any of those hearings in this city. I can almost guarantee you that. And I think they knew I was going to go in there prepared because they had 12 people from the city to handle my case when on average they have two. So obviously big bad Catherine was coming to town. Well, she's <laughs> so it used to me. So what are some of the main reasons that people lose in court settings though, whether it's a special magistrate hearing, whether you're in district court, whether you're uh, in a circuit court case, even at the court of appeals, but the lower courts especially, and it's not just when you represent yourself, um, but it happens a lot when you represent yourself. Um, okay, I had to make sure there's no emergency because all of a sudden my phone's like blown up here. So uh, Mike did send something, but whatever. Mike, if you're listening, if it's an emergency, uh, I don't know, I guess call me because I'm not gonna look, look at my phone right now. All right, so what are some of the main reasons? Number one, you as the person, as the defendant or respondent or whatever, as the party, you, you yourself don't know the underlying law. Maybe you think you do and you really didn't do enough homework and you only know this part and you didn't realize this part and this part and this part would be relevant. Maybe you knew about the statutes, but you didn't know about the court rules or the procedures that would be involved. Whatever it is, the number one reason I think that people lose, especially when they're representing themselves, but not only, is not knowing the law. Um, okay, well, second reason was not knowing the procedures. So that might be in state law, might be in court rule. Here's something, if you're doing an appeal, some states have this, but especially in Michigan, you can't just look at the, the state law. You can't just look at the constitution. You can't just look at the court rules, whether you agree with them or not. You're also expected to uh, comply with, get this, internal operating procedures. Yes, internal operating procedures. So the Michigan Supreme Court 
has their own internal operating procedures. The Michigan Court of Appeals has their own internal operating procedures. So there's requirements and things in there that go beyond what the court rules talk about, that go beyond what the statutes talk about. So, and yes, there's a court rule in Michigan that says if it's on a point of procedure and there's a court rule and then a conflicting state law, the Michigan court rule says that the court rule will control and the state law is irrelevant. Anyway, just some things. All right, what about something else? What is the next biggest thing? And, and I guess let's pause on those two things. So what can you do for those? You need to read your table of contents or whatever they call it for your state's laws. You need to glance through it. Anytime I have a case, I literally, I don't stop at what I think is most relevant. I expand all the sections. So I'm not just looking at just the main title, uh, like in Florida, the construction of statutes, state organization, legislative branch, executive branch. I don't leave it at just those high levels. I expand it so I can see all the individual chapters. Okay. And then I write myself a note. Okay. This one, this one, this one, this one, whatever would, would be possibly applicable. Then I go and look at those and I look at every single law, at least the title of the law. Is it possible something in here pertains to what I'm doing? And then I print them all out and then I read all of those and then I highlight. So I know in the end, which ones actually end up having stuff that's relevant to me. Is that a lot of freaking work? Yes, it is. But now you know why I say I'm super busy and I can't take on any new cases because on any case that I take, this is the kind of work that's required, any level of case. And most people, most attorneys are too lazy to do that. They will not. And let's put it this way. Why? Because no one's going to pay for that work. As attorneys, we should get paid. Do you know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans that I get paid? How many hours, thousands and thousands of hours I have into the skill set that I have today, the knowledge base that I have? I'm worth every penny that I would charge, even though it's been years since I've charged for legal services. I'm worth every penny. But most people don't see the value or they're just simply not able to afford it. That's why in a municipal hearing like I had a couple weeks ago, that is one of the main reasons why no attorneys have ever even gone in there, that it's everybody just representing themselves. Why? Because how many people could afford five, ten, twenty thousand dollars? to fight a $200 fine or, you know, having to take out their, their privacy fence. 99% of people can't afford to do that. So um, you need to know the law and then you need to know the procedures. So you need to do the same thing with your state's court rules. You need to figure out what are all the sets of court rules and then even print off something like this and highlight. These are the ones that apply. Get ready to either buy the books. If you can go to a library and rent them, do that. Um, I would suggest you, you print them though and you can highlight because they change frequently. Print them out and highlight and do what you can and have it in front of you. And if you go to court, if it's not just stuff you're filing, you're going into a court situation, take it with you. Have those notes with you. Um, what is the third biggest reason? What is the third biggest reason why the good guy loses in court? Because the judge doesn't know the law. 
judge might think they know the law. Maybe the judge, I've had judges straight up say on the record, in fact, what led to my first appeal in the state of Florida was when a fill-in judge, a, a retired judge filled in on my case after our, I did hire an attorney. Our attorney died suddenly in a scuba diving accident, Memorial Day or Labor Day weekend that in 20, 2021. And we were not given any extra time. And this was just a few days before. We weren't given any extra time to get another attorney. Couldn't find one in that short of notice. I ended up having to read all the Florida statutes, court rules, cases, you name it, that would be relevant. I then was a subject expert <laughs> on that kind of case in Florida. And we went to the court. We had this hearing, which they would only do by Zoom. And this judge literally said, well, I'll have to tell you, I don't do these kinds of cases. Um, you know, I, I don't know the law in these kinds of cases. The judge said that to which the other side's attorney getting paid eight or $900 an hour from Boca Raton said, yeah, your, your honor, I don't really either. I've only ever done two or three of these in my entire career. Now, neither one of them gave me any acknowledgement whatsoever when I immediately piped up and said, but I sure do. I could tell you exactly what the laws and court rules and requirements are in this kind of case. Well, they threw it all out the window. But I have had on more than one occasion, that was just an example, um, more than one occasion where a judge is openly saying, I don't know what the law is here on this. I don't know it. Even you're telling me what it is, I don't know it. So more often than not though, a judge won't admit that he doesn't know the law. Look at what happened in my Allegan County case. I had, 50 different laws that said that case should never been charged, let alone continued to be prosecuted. It, more than 50. I mean, we literally quoted hundreds of cases and statutes and court rules and constitutional provisions. Hundreds. I fried Lori's brain. In 2021, Lori, <laughs> times we had to keep the fire extinguisher nearby. <laughs> There was a lot of citations, and yet the judge didn't know the law, didn't let it sink in. Most of the time, didn't read it. If they start off a hearing, let me just put it this way. If a judge starts off a hearing by saying, oh, and by the way, I got all of your briefs. I got all of your pleadings. I read everything. What else do you have to say? 9.9 um, .9 times out of 10, that means they didn't read a damn thing. They might have read the caption. They read, you know, maybe the the highlights the the table of contents they didn't read it it's or didn't watch the video or or if there was a video they didn't watch the damn video that explained and showed showed where the freaking car was parked so it was not in dispute at all but that would that would have been extremely easy for him to resolve taking 15 minutes out of his life <laughs> to watch that and see although the sad thing is the case shouldn't have rested on that but you know where my car was parked for the allegan county case that's what came down to the dismissal is where my car was parked for him had nothing to do with anything but okay so um the judges don't know the laws or procedures and then that brings us to this even if they know the laws or procedures there's still so much right now when i was in minnesota and, and things might have changed, right? Because I haven't practiced there in a long time. But when I was in St. Paul and Minneapolis, um, Ramsey, Hennepin counties, 
Ramsey County in particular, they have the specialty court. So in a trial court, you have a judge that's assigned that only does family stuff. And then you have another one that would do, you know, like the drugs and alcohol types of charges. And then you have whatever, right? So they had specialty courts. Now, Michigan is starting to do those. But if you think about it, a specialty court, a drug court, for example, is still housed within typically the district courts, maybe a circuit court. But it's still that circuit court judge or district court judge still has to know elements of family law and criminal law and civil and landlord tenant and you name it, child protection or whatever. There's still so many areas of law. And we already talked about how convoluted, complex and contradictory all of our laws are. A judge is, is physically not able to keep it all straight all the time up here. OK, so. What do you need to do? What is the reason why the good guys lose? You need to tell a clear, consistent, and cohesive story. It's a theory of the case. I told you guys recently that the theory of my case, my Allegan County case, was constitutional catastrophe. Uh, I want to say the full thing was like um, prohibited parking. That's what, what one or two of the prosecutors involved tried to turn it into at some point in their briefs, that the whole case hinged on the fact that my car was parked in a prohibited manner. So that led to me being violently arrested by three grown men. Seriously? If it was a parking, a prohibited parking thing, the only thing you could do is ticket and possibly tow my car. It doesn't allow you to lay a hand on me or arrest me. That's neither here nor there. At any rate, they argued it was prohibited parking. What in reality, it was a constitutional freaking catastrophe. Alliteration does help, right? Prohibited parking, constitutional catastrophe. Something that you can easily remember is the key. It's like it's like you're a journalist, you're a newspaper reporter. You want you only have the, the top of the front page. That's all people are gonna see and, and they're gonna determine whether they wanna open that newspaper box and buy that paper, right? Or if it's social media, you know, you only have the first line or two of characters to catch somebody's attention before they decide to scroll on to the next post. Judges are no different. Prosecutors are no different. If you go to a jury trial, juries are no different. You need to catch their attention and then keep bringing their attention back to the same thing. So my case in Ormond Beach is based on cherry picking. The theme of my case is cherry picking. The city is cherry picking which ordinances they're gonna follow. They're cherry picking which state laws to follow. They're cherry picking, uh, well, quite frankly, mostly ignoring uh, the state constitutional provisions, but they're cherry picking which of those to follow. They're cherry picking which people to come after. They're cherry picking and saying, government officials can get away with this, but private citizens cannot. They're cherry picking, cherry picking, cherry picking. The whole concept of everything boils down to that. It's an easy concept to remember. It's a theme of the case. It doesn't mean that it's a story and it's make believe. No, it's it's telling the truth in a version that makes it compatible, cohesive, understandable. So you need to use graphics whether it's uh, in front of a special magistrate or a court of appeals judge, Supreme Court, district court, circuit court, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the kind of case. In fact, I even read this in a Michigan Supreme Court, um, uh, a Michigan bar journal. 
they were interviewing um, justices and judges and attorneys that have been practicing for years. And what is one of the biggest tools that go unused in cases, even by attorneys? Now, that was specifically geared towards attorneys who focus on appeals. And it was the underuse of graphics and charts and ways to bring all the words to life on the paper, right? In the Allegan County case, I think one of the best things I did was to have the image of, in fact, in my little fundraising video I did that I think is two or three minutes long that I just released last week, I used some of those best photos. It was the photo showing the parking from the front door to where we were parked 229 feet away when state law only says 100 feet are necessary. It was um, the, the, the actual pictures showing somebody showing in the parking lot, if you're standing over by the front door, how far down this parking lot it was before you could see where we're, where we even were. And then followed it up with the bruises. The fact that parking is what they're claiming. It wasn't parking, but you know, the prosecutors claimed it was all about parking that led to my being cut, bruised, given contusions, PTSD, everything else. The more you could do to have pictures, graphs, charts, the better. Look at the Ormond Beach case that I have. If you haven't already taken a look at it, I shared the document a couple times now. It's, it's on my website. The document that I filed with uh, the city as my response. So you could see what I initially served them as a notice of proposed litigation in November. And I've been waiting for their response under state law this whole time. They still haven't answered me. So then I included that and some other things as part of my response to the hearing last month. And in that response, I have, I don't know how many pages it was, several pages of the, um, the chart that, that shows um, the spreadsheet, essentially, it's color coded, it's very easy to see the color coding makes it easy to see which if it's a fence or pavers or shipping containers kind of violation, showing the 810 other violations of the same kind within a quarter mile radius of my house, tiny little walking radius of my house, 810 documented violations of the same kind. Then I kind of identified the summary of that as well and gave, you know, I tried to do on average three pictures for each example. So you have three times where you have unapproved parking surfaces or whatever um, in Ormond Beach it, within a quarter mile of my house. You know, here's, there's 300 of them. Here's three pictures showing you. Oh, you don't like my shipping containers? Here's pictures of shipping containers and storage containers on residential, commercial, and even city-owned lots right here on Beachside. Hmm. It's pictures, charts, graphs, anything you could do to make your point come to life. One thing you need to do is break up the complex parts of the law or your argument into bullet points. Go ahead, it's gonna eat up space, but use bullet points. Make it easy to digest. Make something stand out and pop out for people. 
Again, it doesn't matter what level of court you're talking about. It could be an initial complaint you're filing. It could be a response in a criminal case. It could be an appeal that you're filing. It doesn't matter. Make things jump out at someone. So lastly, you got to use your table of contents and your PDF bookmarks wisely. In most courts, you're supposed to electronically, and in many you have to, electronically file your documents. There are some exceptions, but in most states, that's the thing. So in Michigan and Florida, largely you have to electronically file and it, it, you have to file it as a PDF. For those of you who don't know much about PDFs, there are free programs out there that allow you to do some finagling with PDFs, but most court rules require you to use an, an insert uh, bookmarks. So you can click on that in the PDF program and it'll bring you right to that particular page. So use those wisely. Carefully name your sections. Carefully name your sections of your, your index as it's called in Florida or your table of contents as it's called in Michigan in, for your brief. Lay things out very clearly. Make your points in that table of contents because some judges don't read beyond it. So ways that we can work around the unconstitutional sheer volume and complexity of the laws that are out there and the, the way that too many of legal professionals, including judges, don't follow the law. Ways around that? are to make sure that you know your law the best you can. Go through those table of contents for your statutes. Go through the table of contents of all court rules and narrow it down from there. Print out any that might be relevant and then grab your highlighter and your post-it notes and go to town and, and read through and highlight anything that ends up actually being relevant. And at least you have all of them at your fingertips that way. Reread them. The ones that end up being relevant, reread them. So you're going to have to give yourself enough time. Understand that the judges most of the time don't know the law. So it's your job to respectfully educate them about the law. But remember, they're human. So you got to make your, your <clears throat> um, titles and subtitles, your table of contents, your index, your bookmarks, all of that, your headers, all of that has to be to the point, it has to be attention getting, it has to be factual. Don't say something in there that's gonna get you in trouble, that's not true, but put it together in a way that's going to grab someone's attention, yank them in and make them wanna read that part of your court documents. Have that theory of the case, something consistent that you use all the way through Try to not make it derogatory in nature, but make it be what it is. If it's cherry picking, if it's a constitutional catastrophe, whatever it is, try to make it about the actions and not about a particular person. Don't make it seem like you're picking on uh, the other side, whether it's a law enforcement officer, or a prosecuting attorney, or your ex-wife, or whoever it is. Don't make it seem like it's a personal attack. But tell the story and tell it all the way through all of your motions, all of your documents. Tell that story all the way through. Every time you're closing out one of your arguments or your points, you bring up a law, 
How is it relevant to the bigger picture? How is it relevant to your theory of the case? Break down those complex parts of the law using bullet points. Make it easy and straightforward, even if it doesn't seem complex. I mean, shoot, look up that tras criminal trespass statute in Michigan. It's, I don't even remember, it's two or three sentences or something like that. It's not very long. But break it down into the portions that they would have to prove and, and bullet point it so it's obvious. Okay, they have to do this and then this and then this and then this. Make it so that it's unavoidable and nobody can easily skip over something. You could skip over words when they're just listed one after another, line after line, page after page. Don't let that happen to your key points. I don't know if I mentioned this again to reiterate or close this out, but use graphics, charts, pictures. Don't overdo it, but let them know you have plenty. Let them know you have enough. Maybe even include some of them, you know, put them right into your legal documents, put a few right on in there, and then leave the others, the extra, the surplus or the extra proof at the end in your exhibits or your affidavits or <clears throat> um, appendix. And use your index, as it's called in Florida, your table of contents, as it's called in Michigan. Use that. Uh, as well as your PDF bookmarks wisely. Carefully choose your headings and tell your story throughout. I'm gonna, I realize Lori is not in here and there she is. Um, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I got the boot and you were on the roll, but let, let me insert what I was hearing you say was make it extremely difficult for the judge to say he didn't know because it is so convoluted. You got to make it simple and, and make it easy to the point that he's not reading this huge book, but, but reading this outline, this outline and why whatever you're talking about applies or doesn't apply. Um, because then, they don't really get to say they didn't know or they didn't whatever. <laughs> right. And guys, I did not realize, holy crap, this is probably the longest episode we've ever done. And I thought it was going to be like a half an hour long. So my bad. Um, no wonder why I'm hungry. So <laughs> at any rate, I'm going to go eat some lunch. But I hope this was useful. Keep in mind, I'll do that Constitution segment recap video, 10 minutes or less for you that we'll share on Thursday. There aren't as many constitution segments itself. There are not as many laws or court rules that I'm going to specifically point to in there because I didn't do the same in here. But I'm going to just give you that recap to uh, hammer some of these points, bring them home, uh, and make it so that you know you can be successful in in whatever arena. If you're presenting materials before your county board of commissioners or your city council or your village council or whatever. Um, whether you're bringing something in front of a court, whether you're bringing legislative materials in front of the state legislature, state legislature, whatever you're doing, whoever your audience is, this is something, these are skills that you can use throughout consistently to make sure your message is heard, that you're covering your, your bases, and that if for nothing else, you're laying the proper grounds for the next appeal. So, um, 
Let's see. Kyle on YouTube says, maybe they will investigate the city after your appeal. It's pretty obvious. I'm I'm hoping, uh, I guess I don't know what the pretty obvious thing is there, but hopefully that means it's pretty obvious that they're violating the law. Um, in which case, I agree. Yes, I think it's pretty obvious they're violating the law. So, all right. I think I was able to scroll through. I mean, you guys had a lot of great discussion, especially on YouTube. Um, looks like mostly on YouTube today. It's, there's so many YouTube comments. I cannot even see um, the ones that are on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. So thank you to all of you who joined us on any of the platforms. And remember, we are still posting the videos to YouTube or excuse me, to Rumble later, but we're just not doing the live streaming portion because we just simply weren't getting enough people live streaming there or watching the live stream to justify us paying the monthly fee for doing that. So, um, okay. Um, I'm just going to share something that was from the Liberty Cause there um, on the screen, just kind of rounding out um, and reiterating some of what I said. So um, evidence is not because we said so. <laughs> uh, I've actually had uh, prosecuting attorneys argue that in many cases, both when I served as public defender and even when I was a defendant trying to um, argue that it is, um, it, it's Ray Ipsa loquitur, I think is what it is. It is because I say it is. Uh, that is definitely something I argued and even had case law on point uh, to, to show how ridiculous they were being in that regard. So anyway, thank you so much to all of you who joined and commented and hit the like button. Make sure if you're not already that you have hit the subscribe button and notifications so you know when we're going live. Share any of the information on um, things that we have, uh, videos that we have. Share them, please. Hit the like button. Uh, tell somebody about our website, restorefreedomkh.com. Check it out yourself if you haven't gone there recently. I'm constantly putting stuff certainly on the updates page, but even on some of the other pages and working towards finishing things off and, and getting um, constitutions up there and everything uh, in a searchable uh, functional format that we can then turn into an update on our constitution app. But keep in mind, in the meantime, you can still go to the Google Play or Apple app stores and download the Restore Freedom app where we have the uh, U.S. and Michigan constitutions as part of that. So um uh, with all that being said, again, we can't do this without your support. So not only uh, your support of words and, and spreading the message about what we do, um, but your prayer and, uh, of course, financial support to keep this going, because uh, it, there's certainly not enough to cover the out-of-pockets we have just for the streaming software and to get the newsletter sent out every week and things like that. So take a look at restorefreedomkh.com, especially restorefreedomkh.com slash donate if you want to be able to support any of those uh, specific areas or donate through a specific method. We um, definitely could use that. Uh, thank you to Judy on Facebook letting me know that you are always praying. That is definitely something that we appreciate. So um, I'm just going to leave us with uh, something I, I can't put into words, but if you're listening to it on podcasts or whatever, you'll have to check out the tail end of the video itself to see this cute little uh, succinct and truthful um, set of emojis that Kyle has posted on YouTube about the judge in my case. So, all right. Thanks so much, everyone. I hope you all have a wonderful day.